Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online. My guest today is Urs Gattaker, Ph.D. He is the CTO and co-founder of Commetrics Sitrap Labs. And uh, he's got a, a social media uh, marketing and monitoring solution. And some of his clients include the European Commission, Hortif, Red Cross, and Carrefour, which is a uh, big uh, French uh, international retailer. And uh, they're, they're helping organizations improve CRM and couple knowledgement about social media risk uh, with real-time response capabilities. Uh, I am pleased to have him with me uh, on this podcast. Uh, before we get started with the presentation, I want to mention an event that's going to be happening in uh, Frankfurt. Uh, I'm coming out to teach the first German-American social media boot camp. Uh, we'll be covering two days of strategies and tactics for effective social media engagement with DDB Direct. Uh, that'll be 14-15 December 2010 in Frankfurt. And as always, you'll be able to get a link to that in the show notes at ontherecordpodcast.com. Um, Urs, uh, you uh, have been uh, writing quite a bit uh, about um, what some of the biggest social media trends are uh, for 2011. Right. Thank you, Eric, uh, for letting me be on your show. Uh, yeah, I've been thinking quite a bit about these things, and like everybody else, um, it's kind of it's changing faster than we sometimes uh, can catch up with it. Um, I, we having a, we having a series of posts come up on uh, on our blog at uh, commetrics.com where we spell out about 111 social media trends, but. Uh, of course, I won't talk about these 111 social media trends uh, today. Um, I will just talk about a few about these. And, and what, some of the biggest uh, social media trends, um, I think, are continuing. We've been had these issues last year, this year, and we'll have it again in 2011. For instance, uh, who owns your social network connections when you leave your employer. Um, there are, have been some arguments in the US. There hasn't been really a case in the UK. And in Germany, it hasn't even really come up yet because one of the assumptions is that the social network you, you build, you have when you join your employer. And uh, when you leave, of course, you, you take your Zing or your LinkedIn connections uh, with you. Then another point we will will continue to address is the privacy stuff. I, I feel, and uh, I'm not sure if uh, our American friends are really aware of this, but there's been a real stink about uh, Google Maps and uh, Google charting out uh, the houses and the, and the carts and the maps uh, and driving around town. Um, people want their houses and other things removed. How realistic that is, I, I don't know, but there's currently an investigation going on in Germany by the privacy commissioner from Hamburg, and he's really putting his teeth into this. And then the other one is kind of geolocation, the next uh, big thing. I'm kind of surprised that in the US uh, geolocation is such a big issue because we've tried it in Europe, for instance, in Denmark in 2011, uh, excuse me, not 2011, 2000 and 2001, and we did it with uh, with mobile phones and the towers, and actually figuring out where the people were located, and then sending them an SMS message of a store nearby with a special offer. And after about four months with one of the companies I was working with, we decided to close that down because people weren't excited about it and thought it was a nuisance and a distraction. I still can't figure out how people get excited about it now. And if we look at that, only 1% of adult Americans use location-based services today. Um, it doesn't indicate that it's really taking off uh, very much. But who knows, maybe 2011 things will be uh, a little bit better. But I think a big issue we have to tackle for 2011 and 11 is surely computing in a cloud 
we, we've gone ever more into computing in a cloud, our social media things, our blogs and everything else. But as you might know, uh, if you use FeedBurner um, just about 10 days ago or something, it was out uh, for a day or so, and uh, there was no explanation. So if you had a feed bur- if you used FeedBurner, your people didn't get your RSS feed. Uh, another thing, what I think we really have to consider or, or or think about, I believe, is, is schools and, and and the mobile internet and particularly the iPhone. If it really can facilitate uh, learning better, uh, we have a. A school right here where the where uh, fifth graders they're now in sixth grade so they've been using the iPhone for 16 months every day um, every every pupil has an iPhone of those 25 uh, students uh, and has uh, mobile internet uh, it's sponsored of course and they've been trying to figure out how it affects their learning but people are there's no real data yet, and they're not sure if it really improves learning. My guess is that it, it may be a distraction more often than it's not. Another issue we have to address, maybe we're all aware of this, is last week um, the Pe- Beatles finally took their songs on iTunes. And while I think this is uh, great that they did it, I'm also thinking that ever more we becoming vulnerable to cyber mobs that are devoted to actually tell us what we have to do. I remind people of the Gap uh, logo, which uh, Gap put up, and then some people put up a fuss at, on Facebook, while a lot of customers, we did a test with some customers in the US, they didn't even know that Gap had a new logo, but then the company decided to take it down. So that's kind of, that's kind of a lot of things which have to go on. So if I recap, I mean, we need to figure out if if we use computing in a cloud, if this is really the right right way to go with our social media, with our um, engaging with the clients, because if blocks certainly go go off, that's really annoying. Just to illustrate, I have it on, on my blog today. Um, early in October, uh, a guy who had a Spanish blog uh, he wrote about Kindle in a particular book from a particular author, and he said, it's too bad that you can't get it on Kindle. And then he made a link to a site where we, one could actually download um, a version of the book, which did also work uh, on Kindle. Um, then the copyright organization in Spain complained about this, and they wrote a blog comment, and I'm actually showing the blog comment, and they thought that would get the person to put it all down. He didn't, so they went to WordPress because the blog was hosted on WordPress.com and uh, WordPress just took the blog down. Uh, They had then to backtrack about two days later because they found out that the copyright organization in Spain hadn't really contacted the blog owner and um, what really made it bad at the end is that when you clicked on the link, it didn't even work. Uh, So those are the kind of things... And I, I think this might would not have happened if the blog owner would not have hosted his blog on WordPress.com, but instead would have had it on his own server or somewhere else. So this makes us more vulnerable. Uh, well, Eric, that those are kind of some of the issues for uh, 2011. If if you wish, I could talk about some some more things. But what do you think about it? Well, I'd like to ask you a question about this uh, notion of network ownership. Uh, you know, certainly uh, data portability and the, you know, the ability to take your network with you has been seen by certainly many in the U.S. as a sort of God-given right, I should say. This, this idea that if I establish a collection of friends in Facebook, I should be able to take them with me. I mean, in all, for all practical purposes, if you did take them with you, I don't know how you would be able to use that data because certainly... Uh, the export of status updates and, and, and likes and comments would, there's no other network that would allow you to actually make that data useful. But, but nevertheless, I'm interested to know outside of the U.S., uh, you know, what the uh, temperament is with respect to uh, network ownership. Would you say that uh, Europeans are more or less um, feeling entitled to be able to take that data with them? Um, in terms of the issue with respect to whether or not 
the network is owned by the company or the individual. That seems like it's surmountable. Um, you see a lot of companies now doing a branded account. Uh, they'll uh, have their employees work as a community manager on a branded account uh, with full disclosure and, and transparency. So, so there is some authenticity there. But with the understanding that you know, if these folks transition to another job at a later date, uh, the company will be able to keep the individual. So that, that doesn't seem like an issue to me. Uh, but I am curious to know sort of what would you say there's a feeling of entitlement amongst Europeans that, you know, that data should be theirs, that that they own it? Um, it's quite difficult to answer. I mean, if, if we look at Facebook as, as the example, because so many people are, are on it, uh, I don't think it's an issue there, really, because in many instances, what I come across is that people use Facebook, but it's for private purposes. It's with their friends and less unless they're self-employed or have their own business for business purposes. So in that regard, I don't think so. And it's like you're saying the company has a corporate page uh, on Facebook. So that's clear that, of course, what's with the corporate page belongs to the company. I think the issue comes more up if it if it's something like the French-English via Deo, which is similar to LinkedIn and, of course, Zing, which started in Germany, uh, those networks because they're clearly focusing on professional connections, uh, business-related connections. And the companies have been saying, or some companies at least have been saying, that there are individuals or connections you get during your employment which are clearly with the company. But the contract or, you know, when you sign up for these networks, of course, is between you and the network provider. So I haven't come across to a case yet uh, where when the person left, he or she wasn't able to to take her LinkedIn or Xing stuff uh, along with her. I, I would be curious to see if that could be. But we have advised uh, some people, even in a, in a blog post, that they really should make clear that if this is really important to them, their LinkedIn connections, their Black Soul connections or whatever else they have, that they clearly state in the contract when they get employed, hey, listen, these are mine. I use them for the employment, but when I leave, I take them along. And there may be some others in it. We've lost some employees which have been with LinkedIn since, I think, 2002 or 2003. And, of course, they used their LinkedIn connections whilst they were with us. And they took them with them, and we're, we're glad, and that's okay. So I think one has to be a little bit uh, pragmatic about this. Um, I, I don't think it's a good idea to, to force the employee to do it. But, but lawyers have argued that LinkedIn has to put something in there in the, in the user, um, uh, in the rules, saying what's going to happen or how this is going to happen. I, I'm not sure because in the U.S. you guys have cases where, where they're fighting it out. And I find that um, hard because it's hard on the employee uh, to fight a large corporation. And it's unfair to let the employee lose all his or her uh, connections. So I think the public opinion is probably that you should take it with you. Now, there are some other things which I'm not sure if you also have that in the US, but a lot, a lot of public organizations simply block access to Facebook um, or other sites and uh, because employees have spent too much time on it. But, of course, with their smartphones, that becomes a little bit of futile exercise because... So, so what's up with that? Is, that? is that becoming more or less the case in Europe? I think it's becoming more the case. Partic- I mean, you know, I'm, the, I'm in the city of Zurich, and if you work for the city of Zurich, you don't have access to Facebook, period. Um, they tried it with voluntary uh, uh, kind of things that they said, hey, people, cut it down. People didn't cut down, so, so they just cut them off. Um, but, of course, that doesn't stop the employee who has a mobile Internet to go for a coffee break or a smoke break and then use his mobile phone and go on Facebook. So um, it's only a partial thing, and, and I don't know how they're going to solve it. But if you work in a bank, you surely don't have access to Facebook. In in uh, in in the in that part of the world, um, if you have a mobile phone, is it sponsored by the company? Yeah, well, uh, in in the, you can't really say that part of the world. If you live in Denmark or if you live in Sweden, it might be sponsored by the company. Um, no, I mean in Hamburg and Zurich and that area. Yeah, it might be, but um, I mean, like, do, do city employees get a company phone? 
No. And do bank employees get a company phone? Depends on what position they are. Do do um, do the do employees receive uh, business emails on their personal phone? Mm, no. Then they probably will have a company phone, like a BlackBerry or whatever. So so are are city employees expected to respond to emails when they're not on the job? Uh, no, usually, usually not. Uh, I mean, if they absolutely have to, they can check it when they're home with their internet connection because everybody has an internet connection. There are some exceptions. I mean, I mean, because I, I mean, in the U.S. or in the U.S., uh, you know, most people who uh, work for a, a, a corporation or even a government agency, uh, whether yeah. they have a personal phone or a company-sponsored phone, are expected to respond to questions that come in pretty much round the clock. So it seems kind of um, unfair that the company would not let them uh, do some personal communications while they're on the job, but then expect the employee to respond to business communications when they're off the job. And so I'm I'm wondering, you know, is there a sort of – because the thing about, you know, from, from a U.S. perspective, when you look at the Europeans, you know, the Europeans in many respects are more willing to get out there and protest and uh, and say, hey, these are our rights. You know, uh, the, the rail workers in uh, France recently struck because they had to work more than 35 hours a week. You know, I'd love to work 35 hours a week. You know, so our perception in the U.S. is that, you know, over there in the in the in, in Europe, you guys live the good life. And we we're. Um, we're envious, you know, we want to as well. I wonder if that extends to social media. Is there a feeling, you know, in Europe that, hey, you know, just because I'm on Facebook, just because I'm on LinkedIn, just because I have a phone, doesn't mean that you, my employer, can uh, block, can can contact me when I'm off work. And also, um, you know, it's okay if you block access while I'm on work, because when I'm on work, I'm yours. But when I'm off work, that's my time. Um, well... <sighs> Kind of, um, it's it's difficult to say. Uh, Europe is 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 one thing, right? Every country looks at things a little bit differently and handles these things differently. But I mean, there are many organizations where employees simply don't have access, uh, let's say, to LinkedIn or to Facebook while whilst they are on work, because the employer says you don't really need it for your job. Um, but on the other hand, they're also not expected. Uh, to be on the job over the weekend. I mean, it's kind of, you, you go and look at, at LinkedIn groups or you go and look at Xing groups, uh, the Europeans are not really on uh, active on these during the weekend because weekends are weekends and uh, doesn't mean you need to do it. Um, we do it different, yes, and there are lots of people who also are active on weekends and check their email from home. But uh, depending on what level you are in your organization, uh, a bank teller surely is not expected to check his email on weekends. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, and obviously, I don't mean to obviously group, you know, Europe into, into one, one community. Obviously, each country is a little different. Probably each town in each country is a little different. Uh, there was a study released by TNS uh, and I'll have a link in the show notes to it. Um, it is the most comprehensive study of how people use social media globally. And the, there were some interesting trends with respect to developing, emerging, and mature markets. And um, in the more mature markets, it appeared as though uh, you know, people were more intent on maintaining their privacy Whereas in developing markets, where many people have had access to the Internet for less than two years, uh, there were less predetermined expectations with how technology should be used. So they were willing to you know, use these technologies however they like. There was no rules. But clearly, you know, in the mature markets of the world, in Germany, in France, in Italy, in the U.S., uh, you know, there was more of a feeling that, hey, you know what, I'm not going to geo location network online because I want my location to be private. Um, you know, I don't want my, my house on Google Maps because, you know, that's my house. I don't want it there. Um, and I wonder, I mean, is this, do you see this in your community in, in Zurich and when you get outside in Germany? I mean, do you feel as though people, 
there's more of a sense of entitlement that they deserve their privacy in a mature market than perhaps developing or emerging markets like Brazil, China, India, Russia? Um, well, I, I, I think... I think entitlement may not be the right word. I, I think they say it's it's a right. It's it's the law which says that I have a certain degree of privacy. But of course, if we if we get into the privacy issue, then then there's also history in 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 Europe, uh, particularly in Germany, and and that of course makes people very very sensitive uh, about any kind of when it comes to privacy. Uh, so um, you know and and. Uh, this is another thing about social social media. Social media is not scalable, nor nor is uh, e-commerce online. Uh, you, you know, it doesn't really help if a company like Google comes out like a an elephant in a in a in a store or a china shop and and uh, put, wants to put these things up on 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 the internet, and people have no chance to actually raise their concerns. You can't get in touch with anybody at Google because Google doesn't have an office you just can't get help if you ever try to use google adwords like one of my clients did and the bill was incorrect there's no way you get recourse uh, you basically have to go to court and um, there's no customer service and that was the problem with the google maps they put these things on they said they would put it on and only after they had a public outcry and it was on tv and it was all over the place and the politicians were starting to actually get into the act uh, they started to respond with their public relations people, and um, and even that wasn't wasn't that great. So I think here people people are different. It's kind of uh, you want your privacy and you have certain rights, and and uh, we're concerned. We're also concerned about if you use geolocation networks and you say I'm here with John and and, and Maureen, uh, what about their privacy, um, and uh, and why? Why do you actually have to opt out on Facebook that these things don't work, and why can't it be by default that you opt that you that you're not in it? Um, why do we have to set your options in such a way that this cannot be done? But but the thing is, people elect to use these services. They choose to set up a Facebook account. Now, granted, you know there's a lot of pressure to do that, but they don't have to do it. And certainly, you know, I don't have to check in with my Foursquare at a location if I don't want to. So how do you ultimately let people keep their privacy? Do you think it should be attacked through government regulation? And beyond your personal opinion, how do you see that evolving in uh, in Germany and in uh, in your area in Zurich? I mean, do you think that ultimately uh, government regulators are going to say, hey, this is the way it needs to be here? Do you think it will be through training? Do you think it will be through policies? How do you see it evolving? Well, I think if it will come, it will come through through regulation. I mean, uh, let's not forget the first one who really kicked uh, Facebook in the butt was not a European regulator, but it was actually the privacy commissioner of the province of Ontario in Canada, um, which uh, actually forced Facebook to change some of their things. And they did very quickly because otherwise it would have been taken offline. Uh, I, I I do believe that one of the best ways to do it is to to regulate and to make sure that these people and then enforce it so we are sure that people do it. How much it should be, you know, that's that's a kind of open to negotiation. Um, I agree with you that on Facebook, uh, if I'm on Facebook, things are not private, and there's just been a, a, a ruling in in Florida where where actually in an insurance case where Facebook data had to be given access to. So the, the lawyer of the other party had be, got the, the username and the password to, to, to get access to this information. Same is happening here in Europe. Uh, just, um, I think, last, last week we had a case in France where uh, somebody, um, um, where the, actually the court said that when two employees were complaining about the employer and put it up on Facebook, the company found it and fired them. And the labor relations court actually upheld this decision and said, yes, um, if you complain and bitch about the company, uh, that's what can happen to you. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to find out where, where the border is and how much we can do and how much we cannot do. But that Facebook suddenly brings in geolocation uh, services and you're actually 
are part of it, uh, even though you might not want to use it, that's kind of not appropriate. You can bring a new service, but you need to, by default, exclude the people from being part of this service uh, instead of saying you're in it unless you go and change the options. Um, and that's kind of what Europeans think. They say, if you bring a new service, by default, I have to be out of it. And uh, if I want to be in, a, in it or part of it, I have to go and change my options. And, and the idea is that that would be enforced through regulations, through some sort of government regulations. Well, that would be the privacy commissioners, which uh, there's a privacy commissioner working party from all the EU member states. And uh, they have been quite uh, forthcoming about about these issues. And we still don't know how the Google, you know, with the when Google did the, the mapping uh, stuff, uh, they intercepted some data and did all kinds of nasty little things. And there's still going to be a court case. So we don't know how this is going to end, but there will be some kind of regulation. Of course, one can then argue um, people are very much... Uh, concerned about their privacy when it comes to private companies, but they're far less concerned when it comes to tax authorities or the IRS in, in Germany, for instance, getting access to, to, to your uh, financial data. So to me, as an outsider or as a bystander, outside being outside of Germany, it's a little bit weird. Uh, but c'est la vie, I mean, that's life. I mean, you have to live with it. In terms of um, this uh, deal in Hamburg, that's what you're talking about, yeah? The privacy commissioner there and Google Maps? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, you know you know about the, uh, the Streisand uh, effect and, you know, her house appearing on that website? Interesting story. Um, for those of you who don't, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's essentially a story about a geologist who years ago who was flying up in down the coast of California documenting the erosion of the coastline. A picture of uh, Barbara Streisand's house wound up on the website because she occupies a very prominent piece of real estate on the coastline. And uh, she filed a cease and desist in a court of law, and um, she actually lost the case. But even had she won, uh, free speech advocates on the Internet became so incensed by the fact that she... Uh, you know, made this motion to have this guy take down this photo that they replicated the photo in so many places um, that even if she had had it re removed from the guy's website, it would have been in so many other places. She actually just proliferated uh, the problem. And then shortly after that, the um, Motion Picture Association of America uh, had the incident with the kid from, I think it was uh, Iceland or the Netherlands, who had published the code to the DVD cracking software and uh, MPAA gave him a cease and desist. Um, and at that point, Dig had such consternation over whether or not to take the link down because everyone was digging it. They did take it down, and then everyone else republished it and dug it. And the next day, it was, you know, every link on Dig. So this, this concept of whack-a-mole, even if maybe the Hamburg uh, um, Privacy Commissioner is successful and they do have the photos taken down, will free speech activists proliferate that content in so many other sites that it won't matter anyways. I'd be curious to know. I mean, certainly that was the reaction in the U.S. that, hey... Yeah, but Eric, Eric, sorry if I interrupt, but this, you know, in Europe, we don't say this has anything to do with free speech. This has to do with that what you do in your backyard is, 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 is a private issue. Even uh, if and, you're Barbara Streisand? Uh, well, I don't know about Barbara Streisand, okay? But, or even if but, you're the MPAA and you're... And you're you're, you've got this this blocking software that that basically makes it so that if I buy your DVD, I can't move it from one device to the other because the software doesn't work. So then I crack the software, right? I'm doing I'm just using the product that I bought, and your blocking software didn't work. So so that's why the free speech activists sort of got behind these movements. Also, if you look at the, what this guy was doing, documenting the erosion of the California coastline, basically he was doing something for the greater good of mm. California and the world and for geology. And so, you know, yeah. for someone to get up and say, hey, you know, my, my photo of my house is more important. And I could see how, you know, the argument could be made, well, yeah, you want the photo of your house to be private, but I want to find driving directions to where I'm going. So what's more important, that everyone should be able to drive, get where they're going without getting lost, or that you should be able to keep your mail, the photo of your mailbox private? 
Well, you know, I, I don't think <laughs> we're going to answer this in, 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 in this uh, uh, particular podcast. Uh, Come on, podcast. we are and, too. Uh, Come on, or no, we're going we're gonna to no. come to a conclusion. But, well, you know, let me, let me put it... Uh, let, let me, let me, me dial it. the let me dial the commissioner on, bring him on the phone here. Okay, just hold on one minute. It's a joke. I don't have the commissioner's phone number. I'm not going to... I would, I would wonder if you would reach ahead, him right I don't now. Know him. Not, I don't know him. I don't know him. He's not right Hopefully he'll be listening to this. <laughs> but um, but you know uh, the kind of the kind of th- thing is just that um, we have to address these issues and and whatever we do uh, they they can't necessarily be driven by by the private companies alone uh, we have to figure out what we want and then go with it and uh, I'm con- I'm concerned about the privacy matter because I think we have less and less and less privacy and. Uh, I'm not so sure if that's so great or if that's uh, so bad. I, I, I have no, I have no idea. But we should be aware of and we should be careful about what what we do, and and that's about it. And and the kind of thing you're talking about with the with the code uh, for these uh, technologies, that's you know that's like having an ecosystem like Apple has that these things are not transferable. I mean, that's a whole other thing. And I mean, of course, I, I prefer if I'm able to take it from one device to the next. But as a consumer in that particular case, one choice you would have is to say, forget all the user friendliness of the Apple products. I'm not going to buy it because it, it locks me into their system. Uh, that's a choice you have to make and uh, w- w- will not be able. But, you know, I, I was wondering if I could uh, sort of throw in a, a kind of thing that I'm saying for 2011, we have to be realistic about that social media is not social. Is not social. You want me to say something about that? Sure. Because I don't think we're going to fo- solve the privacy, <laughs> the privacy issue for the celebrity issue. So, well, I know, do I- think be, be, I would like to talk about that, but before we um, move into that subject, I just want to say I think that um, you know that's the price of free. You know, you sacrifice your privacy in exchange for access to these free online services because. By getting information about you, they're able to pay for the services by selling that information to advertisers. And I think that's what we need to realize, that if we get onto these services and we use them and they make our lives easier and we like them, we realize that basically we are sacrificing our privacy for access to these tools. So, you know, my my father said to me, uh, I was over at my father's uh, the other day, he said, you know, should I get on Facebook? I'm getting these things for Facebook. I said, Dad... If you can get through life without having to be on Facebook, God bless you. Okay? Don't bother. But he basically he sacrificed the ability to use these tools and in exchange for that he maintains his privacy. Right. Right. But you know I had another I had another uh, I had two teenagers last week and they were telling me when we were talking about it. I asked them I said, "Aren't you on Facebook?" And they said, "No. Why?" Get a life. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean by it? He said, look, instead of hanging out on Facebook, we, we rather we rather chill with our friends and have a cup of coffee or cook together or have a nice meal. We don't need to be on Facebook. Here, we, we're in Europe. They're all within 10 miles or whatever. We can see them. So forget about Facebook. We don't need it. Dude, that's uh, awesome. I, if, you, if you know those kids, I like to hook my kid up with them. <laughs> I was really like, you know, wow, okay. That's great. Love that. You know, there's an interesting big feature story on the cover of the New York uh, Times Sunday's uh, paper yesterday. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes about how Facebook has just taken over in the schools. You know, when I was a kid, you had the drama geeks, you had the jocks, and they said now you have the Facebookers, you have the texters. You know, it's actually clicks. Mm -hmm. And they said that the, the kids who are more social tend to gravitate towards Facebook and the kids who are perhaps more socially awkward tend to, you know, escape into games. Well, there's also, uh, we, we, we brought that up on one of our blog posts on commetrics.com. Uh, we brought up a guy at Georgia Tech not too long ago did some studies with college students about using of Facebook and other things. And one of the things he reported on, of course, he says it's preliminary stuff and we have to be careful to generalize from it. But those students that were on Facebook had uh, lower grades. So um, the Facebook was taking too much time and took them away from studying 
So uh, their their performance as students suffered under using Facebook. That's about eight months old study or something. The interesting thing in this, uh, the most interesting thing in the New York Times uh, cover story that I mentioned before was a quote from a doctor that said, look, um, kids need downtime because right. when they're not occupied with media, that's when they reflect, that's when they connect the dots, that's when they have real meaning. Just as you have to sleep at night, your brain needs to rest too. So if you're constantly you know, playing with the iPhone and playing with the iPad, constant stimulation, you have no time to reflect, build self-esteem, self-confidence, right. and grow. And it makes a lot of sense. Right, right. So I want you to talk, get a chance to talk about the, the, the next uh, trend. Well, uh, one of the trends is that I think we have to kind of get uh, or listen to the music that social media is really not social uh, in, in that way that uh, it doesn't allow uh, every CEO to, to answer. We had a series of uh, Twitter posts from uh, the UK uh, Starbucks manager who was responding to one of, uh, one of the comedian. The comedian had sent out a tweet saying, you know, I'm at this and this Starbucks and uh, Starbucks and um, it smells funny it smells like from the toilet or whatever and then the manager uh, who, who, who is on Twitter went back to the guy and said which, uh, uh, which Starbucks outlet is this and then uh, we'll check into it and so forth and, and the answer in the discussion in the social media groups over here was that um, you know if there's bad smell in one of the local shops I, we're not sure if this is the most efficient use of his time and nor will it resolve the root of the problem. Um, it might be smarter to give the person a call. So you can't respond to every tweet as a manager who says something. And I think Steve Jobs had this case when, uh, when uh, was it a journalism or communication student from uh, somewhere in New York uh, wanted to get in touch with him and he actually told her uh, to, to, to get off, the, off his case because he didn't have the time to respond to her and it was not in his job description. So I, th I think this is one of the things we have with social media. There's a, there's a point of diminishing returns. You can't be in touch with everybody constantly and I'm not sure how we're gonna manage this because it's like with the kids, you need, all, uh, you need downtime and the sign, you need to do your real work. Uh, that's kind of what I'm uh, trying to say here. And, and people are still struggling to find uh, to use social media for their work, for their personal lives, uh, but at the same time, there, there comes uh, there comes a time when it makes no sense anymore. You should turn your computer off, or you should turn your iPhone off, um, and that's one of the challenges whichever more people seem to be having. Well, I would I would um, say you know there's I have sort of two thoughts when you mention that. The first is um, I think. The communications apparatus of organizations are right. shifting. Uh, you know, in the past, um, as you write in your blog post, when you define public relations, um, you know, in the past, uh, external communications apparatus of the corporation uh, was responsible for communicating through mainstream media, through mass media. But right. um, obviously, you know, the, the mainstream media, at least in the U.S., uh, is hemorrhaging red ink. Ad sales are down because the classifieds have gone to Craigslist and eBay, and the display advertising has shifted over to Google AdWords and now um, Facebook advertising and even in-game advertising. And of course, the loss in revenue means um, you know less uh, a smaller payroll, and a smaller payroll means fewer journalists to cover stories, and fewer journalists to cover stories means less of an appetite at that organization to cover news. Most of the type of news that a company would announce is typically going to be soft news. That's going to be the first thing that they're going to turn their attention away from. So what it means is that the folks in the corporations that have been writing press releases have more time. So if they have more time, they can turn their attention now to the notion of community management. Uh, and that addresses the issue of scalability because certainly you cannot scale one-to-one -one in social media, but... If you can establish a vibrant community and empower um, you know, word-of-mouth ambassadors who are advocates of your brand to do your bidding for you, that is scalable. 
And, um, you know, the current episode of the podcast that I mentioned to you before we started this uh, recording today is, um, well, uh, I guess a pilot program of just that, you know, the Coca-Cola company, which for years has, you know, done most of their business through mainstream media, advertising and PR, has sent an expedition of three happiness ambassadors to the 206 countries where their products are distributed to get out there and share what makes people happy? And of course, that's a brand adv- that's a brand value of Coke. Have a Coke and a smile. So now, rather than you know making a an ad with a clever jingle and a heartwarming narrative, they find three optimistic young people. They send them to every country. They outfit them with laptops. They outfit them with cell phones. They outfit them with cameras. They give them the support to be able to get this content online, and they become these sort of advocates on behalf of Coke. And I could see something like that being scalable for a lot of organizations as long as there's someone inside the organization working as a community manager to, I guess, fertilize the on-topic conversations and weed out the off-topic conversations, to borrow a line from Mark Yolton, um, who was featured in a previous episode of this podcast and handles a social network for SAP, which is the probably one of the most profitable B2B social networks. Uh, and again, that network runs almost entirely with unpaid armies of advocates who have something to gain if if SAP is successful. So just just a thought, the idea of scaling through communities. Um, but let me just, uh, I think it's a very important point you're making, Eric, but let me just uh, res- try to respond to it. Um, what we're talking about here is, of course, kind of Fortune 500 companies or very large companies, publicly listed companies, um, for them, it's kind of feasible to do it. And if Coke wants to send around three ambassadors, that's okay. But what about the small and the mid-sized companies? They, they simply don't have this kind of dough uh, to put into, into their uh, marketing efforts. So whenever we look, you know, whenever I hear examples about Coke, uh, then I'm I'm always saying, well, how much do they spend on social media compared to their total marketing budget? And uh, it's probably their social media budget is probably um, larger than the total marketing budget of 70% of all American companies. So it's kind of it's kind of a size issue. So we have to be careful about what size of company we're talking about. And all these examples I always hear about, they're always about the huge companies. And, and, you know, we have several banks in Europe which have used social media and spent a lot of money on it, but they're good enough to really do a bad job. So it doesn't necessarily mean um, it works. And just to respond to the Coke issue, you know, the I think it's called the uh, Scotia Bank or, or another Canadian bank, which, which I know of. They had a blog uh, which had students write blog entries and they did that I think for 12 months and they bought a, uh, they paid him a stipend and all these kind of things unfortunately after a year they just sort of shut it down I didn't really understand why because the blog was actually quite popular with uh, the student population you know it's it's a good point I mean this the notion of size and um, but but I think it also you know the reason we hear about coke and these big companies because they're the ones that, you know, wind up generating enough attention because it is such a big spend that people actually take a look. In uh, my book, Social Marketing to the Business Customer, we talk about a number of small organizations that are doing this uh, for in the B2B sector as well. Albeit, mm-hmm. I should say, even in those venues, unless the size of the market, the addressable market, is large enough to sustain the momentum, typically they do peter out. Um, right. That's right. not to say, though, that what, what we're seeing with Yelp, um, you know, the, the ability to, uh, you know, attract people to your venue with some sort of a special offer or, um, you know, the idea of using uh, Foursquare to appeal to people based on location. That's not to say that you couldn't necessarily activate a community um, being a smaller company. I think the one thing that you have to remember is, you know, there has to be something in it for those ambassadors to carry the message. They have to get something out of it. You know, if it's right. just for you, why would they bother? Right, right, right. Yes, yes, there, there has to be something in I've it I've got to tell you, Urs, um, I think SAP is really 
the most sophisticated company I've seen with respect to using uh, a customer network to drive business. I'll make sure that there's a link to my interview with Mark Yolton um, about B2B social networks in these show notes as well. Yeah, that's good. It's good, yeah. Um, you so, know, let's, I, um, so I want to give you a chance to, to you know wrap it up. Tell us where can we find out more about you and tell us, if you would, just a little bit about Commetrics and the, you know, the blog ranking platform that you have. Um, okay. Um, right. Okay. The blog ranking platform you can find at my.commetrics.com. It allows you to enter your blog and then start tracking. So the kind of interesting stuff is, is you can compare your blog to other blogs, like some of the federal agencies do in the U.S., they use the system to compare blogs internally, but they also use it to compare their own blogs to other blogs externally. And what we do is we use uh, hard or quantitative measures, but we also use soft measures on how well is your blog doing and how well are you interacting with your community and do you engage and, and those kind of things. Uh, uh, to do you can use it for you can actually use it for free some of the corporates because they want more they of course have a subscription but you don't need to have a subscription a paid subscription as a blogger you you can just do it like this uh, so uh, these are the kind of things we do we do an index for the financial times uh, for this which we regularly publish with them um yeah, maybe I, I should say something about the 2001, some of the issues I see about measuring. Um, and I call it why blockheads will continue to measure blockhead metrics. I think, and that's what we're trying to do, is we say page views, unique visitors, and those kind of things, they're, they're great, but that doesn't necessarily give us actionable metrics. So if your page views go up or unique visitors go down, what are you going to do with the information? I always use the example of the budget. If you come in under budget or if you have spent your exhibition budget by August, what are you going to do for the last four months? Uh, it, will it will require you to take uh, action. And kind of what we're trying to do is to find people a way to make the best out of their blogs so to compare the trends. So, for instance, you, you should compare the summer trend of 2009 with the trends you had in 2010 to see if your blog is really doing better and those kind of things. So that's what we try to help people with to, to measure the stuff. And maybe one of the biggest trends for next year is going to be Apple offering you mobile internet and mobile phone services. Uh, that's one of the trends uh, I have in some of our... Um, trend blog posts that's one of my predictions and some others so uh, Eric does that kind of uh, tell you or wrap it up or uh, it does indeed are you going to the web uh, no I'm not because to me it's too American focused interesting interesting gosh I'm I'm going there because I was thinking it wouldn't be too American focused I think I think it's it's quite the keynote speakers and most of the things are are American. I also have been trying. I was invited last year to come and I can't figure out uh, what I'm going to get out of it. Uh, my clients aren't there. Uh, those are the corporate clients. Uh, there's a lot of bloggers and a lot of interesting people there, of course. But uh, Paris is a very expensive location, and uh, spending three or four days to going there uh, was just not. Not the thing uh, our board thought was a good time for me to spend. To spend. Do you get so, down to uh, Frankfurt much? Uh, yeah, I do sometimes, and I do get to Munich, and uh, I do get to Berlin. I, I was just in Berlin three weeks ago um, to do some some business, and I've been in Milano, in Italy, where a lot of things are happening in the, for the Italian market. Uh, well, what was it? A week ago, and. Uh, it's quite easy because you just take the train. You don't even have to hop on a plane, right? Unless it's a thousand miles away, then you better take the plane, of course. Can you give us just in a nutshell, quick, you know, like 30 seconds on what's happening in the Italian market? Uh, the Italian market is um, 
picking up quite quite quickly. I mean, the web wasn't really a big thing about a year ago, but now even luxury brands in Italy are, are putting up their web pages, they're putting up the videos and all kinds of things. And the youngsters in Italy have been on mobile nuts, I would say, it's particularly when it comes to SMS, uh, text messaging for, for quite some time. And they're picking up now because there's more competition and the prices are coming down. They're picking up uh, the mobile internet subscription with their smartphones. So that's changing rapidly. And the companies are realizing that it's changing. Yeah, I know on Social Media Week, um, which was held, for, I think, for the first time this year and is going to be in February next year, uh, one of the cities is going to be Rome. So I know they're gearing up for all sorts of events there. Oh, okay. So they're going to Rome or? Uh... Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the information for Social Media Week. Actually, anyone can organize an event. And uh, there's a website where you can get on there and organize an event. You can be listed and be part of Social Media Week. And it's a global event. So it's cities all around the world. And one of the host cities next year is going to be Rome. This year it was Milan. So it moves to Rome. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Super. Well, well, sorry that we're. I'm sorry that I'll miss you at LeWeb, um, but I am looking forward to that. By the way, if listeners want to hear the LeWeb uh, Survival Guide podcast, uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that's, uh, I think, last week we released that. Uh, but Urs Gattaker, PhD, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Eric, uh, for having me on your show, and uh, I hope our paths will cross soon in person, not virtually, so we have uh, a time to share a bottle of wine and cook some food. Yeah, I hope we can meet IRL as well. <laughs> Super. <laughs> thank you. Take care. You too. Merci. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.